Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. 99, you guys. I don't like to do math. In fact, I hate math. I curse the very person who discovered math. But that's one episode away from 100. Right? 99 plus 1? Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) I know. Isn't that nuts? The thought of us way back when, even just discussing the idea of doing a podcast, Mm. and now we're almost to episode 100. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. Hard to believe. That's for sure. Good for us. Yeah. And you guys might be wondering, Liz, you sound sick. You would be correct in that statement. Um... If you guys listened to some of our previous episodes, you would learn that I had recently contracted scarlet fever somehow, which essentially is just strep throat with a rash. Um, I personally thought it was eradicated. Turns out that's not even an option for scarlet fever. But we joked on the podcast, Katie, that the next thing I would get would be like tuberculosis or perhaps like Ebola, something crazy. Well, not two weeks later, my lovely boyfriend suddenly appeared with a cold. And I said, that sucks. Wouldn't it be funny if I got that cold, you know, because I just had scarlet fever? Well, why did I even say that? Because I sure did get that cold. I'm just lucky it didn't evolve into like sepsis (laughs) with how my track record has been going lately. No, literally. Or pneumonia. Or pneumonia. Or bronch. Like just any. You better knock on wood right now. (laughs) Because it's been... My, luckily, this cold has been very brief. My, I'd say the worst of it was like a day total, mm-hmm. but my voice is still kind of cruddy, which doesn't help when you're a podcaster on the side. And my throat has been tickly, which is more annoying than anything. I've eaten so many Ricola cough drops that I'm starting to crave them. <laughs> and um, luckily, at this point, my symptoms are pretty much gone except for the voice. So... We're out here. I'm just glad it's not another case of scarlet fever or that I don't have chicken pox or, you know, whatever. But it's just so funny that I've gone through all these ailments in such a short amount of time. And, um, you know, I guess the night is still young. I could develop tuberculosis, but we can just keep praying that it stays as it is. Listen, we got episode 100 to record next, so we need to... I know. I'm going to try my hardest. To stay alive for you guys in this recording. But damn. And who gets a cold in the summer? Seriously? Like, what? what's up with that? I can say, though, however, that my boyfriend got it way worse. And he's been sick longer. And he's still sick. Really? Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a lot better, so. Karma. Because he <laughs> didn't he didn't get my scarlet fever. So I think it's only fair that he suffers with the cold a little longer. He's also a man, so... He's also a man, and they tend to do less stoic with their illnesses versus a woman, and that's just a fact. So, but, you know, it's just annoying, and, like, it's the summertime, so why am I coughing and sneezing and rubbing my nose with tissues? Like, what? <laughs> that's annoying. Speaking of my boyfriend... The other day he called me, and Katie, I'll tell you this. He called me and he said, hey, I was listening to an episode today. And I said, oh, that's cool. I knew he had already listened to the episode that came out this, like, the day before. So I was like, oh, that's cool. What episode was it? And he said, oh, it was um, about a guy who shot up his workplace. And it was because he thought it was racist. And, and I was like, oh, 
Omar Thornton. He, um, it was the Hartford Distribution Center um, shootings that happened in Connecticut where um, a young man shot up his workplace because he thought everyone was racist and he killed a lot of people, seven I think total, and then shot himself. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that was this one. Oh, that's cool. What'd you think of it? And he said, oh, you know, it's good. I like this, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, I especially like the intro where you spent 10 minutes talking about guys you didn't like on Tinder and then proceeded to describe exactly me. And I said, oh, whoops. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, that's so awkward. <laughs> because the people I described on Tinder was big guys with, like, foot-long beards, confederate flags on the back of their muddy trucks. Right. Holding up a fish with their copious amounts of guns in yes. the background. Like, like dripping like... down their back. And they, <laughs> they have, like, their captions are, like, muddin', froggin', and fucking, You know, things like that. You know, stupid, like, guys who are, like, hick countrymen, main country boys, by every definition of the word. Right. Hick, country, Republican, like, gun-toting. Yes. Which is not my type. Right. It just so happens that Elijah, my lovely boyfriend, happens to, when I met him, he had a beard. He does not drive a truck, but he's, you know, a Maine-born guy. He does go to the shooting range occasionally. You know, he's, he likes to fish. He's not, you know, it's just, he was like, you just described me. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, that was before I met you. And also not really. Right. He's not like that. No. No. So I felt really awkward and sad because he's a great guy. He does not have a Confederate flag on the back of his car. He doesn't think mudding is the sexiest thing in the world. <laughs> I'm not sure he's ever been frogging, you know? So it's like... He doesn't drink Bud Light out of, you know, a koozie with covered in ammo and camouflage, you know? He's a normal guy. He just happened to have a beard. That was not. It was well-shaped. It was well- He was well-groomed, unlike most of these men I saw on Tinder. Right? <laughs> right? So, and I do want to point out, I did not meet him on Tinder. I was just gonna say. So, I think that maybe is why <laughs> when you meet someone organically- He's going to be so mad at me for this intro. He's going to call me and say, wow, your intro was interesting today. And I already know it's going to be <laughs> like, this is all set with love. He's a good guy. And I stand by my <laughs> my past beliefs. <laughs> so funny. I stand by your past beliefs. Th thank you. Of course. Thank you. Of course. Before any boyfriend comes my Katie, so... Listen, <laughs> I gotta approve all these. And you know what? It's about damn time you approve one of them. <laughs> so, we're on we're on a roll here. Anyway, much like Tinder, which often leads to hookups, our case today is a result of a hookup, went horribly wrong, mostly because it was 1768. That's right, we're going way back. We got a historical one for you guys today. Woo! And this case I think is very interesting. I had actually gone on a reproductive rights march in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, back in October of 2021. Great. And we had actually marched to a mural of this woman named Ruth Blay, mm -hmm. who, as you could tell by the title, we will be discussing her today. Mm -hmm. And I texted you, Liz. I was like, there's this woman. 
we have to do an episode on her. This case is crazy. Mm -hmm. It relates to reproductive rights, which we both feel very passionate about. Very. And I think it's very interesting, too, that it's a historical case and Mm -hmm. we can, you know, reflect on how crazy those times were and Mm -hmm. just how backwards and wild and that's crazy they had those beliefs. Mm -hmm. But then it's crazy, too, because we can look at what's going on with reproductive rights today And realize that even though this case took place in the 1700s, there are literally people in office, in power, who are trying to enact laws that were around during this time. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Batshit nuts. So this is a really interesting case. Great way to preface it, Katie, because it is very interesting. It is well documented as far as that goes, so we'll definitely be getting into it. It's sad. It's messed up and it really shows how much people liked to hang others back in the day. Seriously. Man, they hung people for anything. Anything. And we'll be going over what people got hung for because it is silly. And I've never thought I'd use the word silly and hanging in the same sentence, but man. And without further ado, today we will be covering Ruth Blay. Katie? Before we start, please give me your sources for today's episode. I would love to. Thank you. We are starting off strong with Wikipedia. Sure. Followed by Murderpedia. Fantastic. Wherehistory.com, mm. SeacoastNewHampshire.com, Seacoast Online, and Foster's Daily Democrat. Wonderful. I too had Wikipedia as well as Murderpedia, of course. I also had an article from something called The Monstrous Regiment of Women. Wow. Yes. I had an article from SeacoastNH.com. I had an article from Strange New England. I also used Foster's Daily Democrat. And I used an article on the history of the death penalty from PBS. Fun. Fun stuff. Would you like to start us off? Sure. Great. Ruth Blay was born in Haverhill, Massachusetts on June 10th, 1737. Ruth was the youngest daughter of five children and spent most of her life in Haverhill before moving to New Hampshire. When she was 31 years old, Ruth was working as both a seamstress and a school teacher in a barn that was turned into a makeshift school. The barn and the property it was on was owned by a man named Benjamin Clow, and it was located in Southampton, New Hampshire. Which does not exist anymore. No. Ruth was also staying in the house on the property next to the barn, which will be kind of a little bit of an important detail for later. Mm -hmm. On June 14th, 1768, a group of girls who attended the school walked into the barn that morning like any normal day. They're probably gossiping. They're probably talking about, like, the latest... Petticoat. Linen, petticoat. Linen, petticoat. I like it. <laughs> Almost immediately upon setting foot inside the makeshift school, the girls were commenting about how the barn fucking reeked. Did they use those words? No. Unlikely. They probably said something like, oh my, the odorous fumes of this, this here animal barn smells quite unpleasant. <laughs> it's drifting through... My nares. And it's probably gotten on my... My pantaloons. Nailed it. Sounds just like what a kid from that time would say. 
the girls were trying to figure out what was causing the smell. And, you know, with all the commotion, Benjamin Clow's wife and his mom, actually, who also lived in the house, they came in the school and they're like, what's going on? You know, what's all the commotion? And the girls are saying, it smells. Right. We need to figure out where the smell's coming from. Right. We need to focus in school. Sure. Because girls loved school back then. <laughs> right. The fact that they were at school is very wonderful for them. I was going to say, they were probably some of the elite if they were able to go. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just lucky. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. But they realized that this stench was coming from underneath the floorboards. Creepy. So they're pulling up a couple floorboards, prying it open, and sure enough, there was a bundle wrapped in a blanket. Mm-hmm. They opened the blanket and they found the body of a deceased newborn baby girl. Mm. Even though it was 1768, word traveled among the town very quickly. I mean, this was some hot gossip. Oh, hot goss. People had nothing to live for, no entertainment. They got to go milk the cow as part of their excitement for the day. Sure. So when there was any kind of scandal, everybody came flocking. Oh, 100%. The townspeople showed up at the barn and they were demanding that Ruth's body be inspected and examined for any signs of childbirth, mm. which we think that that is crazy and outlandish. For these days, yes. Yeah. There are some laws trying to be passed that if a woman has a miscarriage, she has mm. to undergo a thorough examination to prove that it was a miscarriage mm. and not by her own hand. Yeah, so that, you know how I just said for these days? (laughs) I take it back. Because that sounds like they're trying to purposely do that again. It's, yeah. That's messed up. Before they could basically hold Ruth down and strip her and examine her genitals, Ruth said, you know, that's not necessary because that baby is mine. Right. And she fully admitted that that baby, who was found dead, wrapped in a blanket under the floorboards of the barn, was in fact hers. Yes. And of course... This was so, this was almost 300 years ago. There's no way that this can be 100% accurately documented or even just 100% documented in the way that like every single event that happened following, during, whatever is known because it's not. What we do know is that, like you said, Katie Ruth was a teacher. She worked in Southampton, which doesn't exist anymore. She was... Described as being misguided and poor initially. Again, who knows if that's true. Mm -hmm. There's also no way for us to know if she was even beautiful or ugly. There's no pictures of her. There's no descriptions of her. I picture her brown hair in a bun. I don't know why. Maybe that's a teacher look. (laughs) But that's how I imagine her in her old, you know, petticoat and blah, blah, blah. Maybe a bonnet. Maybe a bonnet. So what we do know is that leading up to the birth of this child... Ruth remained working as a school teacher until, like, the spring of that year. And by the time she was about to, like, do to deliver, it was known that she was pregnant. She was pregnant. Like, you could tell. She was 31 at this point, which is, Katie, you've said before, in before we recorded, no spring chicken back then, right? That's old, probably. And so she was expecting and it did not seem like she had any intentions of hiding it or getting rid of it she was making preparations for it the only thing was that this was scandalous as fuck 
Because Ruthie wasn't married. And back then, oh boy, that was a crime. And that's why I connect Tinder to Ruth's case, because clearly this happened from an illicit affair. Which, again, these days, like, hookups and whatever is whatever. Who cares? Back then, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Right. Or even if you were, as they said back then, courting. Right. Courting each other. If there's no ring on that finger, you are seen as, like, a back alley whore. Absolutely. Which is absurd. Right. So it's kind of hard to tell if she was openly really flaunting this pregnancy or just was not openly hiding the fact because it might have been impossible. Right. Or maybe she was trying to hide it to a certain point and then she got into her third trimester and she couldn't let her dress out anymore. Right. And she just had to kind of go with the flow and accept the fact that she was very much so pregnant. And, you know, we can't be sure. She might have been really tiny and her bump might have been ginormous. I see that all the time with my patients, these little teeny, you know, five foot tall, like a hundred pounds soaking wet girls with watermelons under their shirts. Like it's crazy. So I'm wondering if maybe that was, she just couldn't hide it anymore, Yeah. but it was known around town. For whatever reason, it might've been because of the illegitimacy of the child. It might've been because people didn't give birth in hospitals back then, at least not unless you were super rich. For whatever reason, she decided to give birth in that barn that was also used as a school where she was working as a teacher, you know, prior, that spring prior. We don't know a lot about this night for sure, but we can speculate. And from gathering from documents and her own personal account that was documented, what we know was that on this summer night, Ruth gave birth alone in the silence of the barn And we can only simply speculate that the birth wasn't easy. I've never had a child. Katie, you've never had a child. I've seen, I work in a birthing center. I've seen, just two days ago, I was in a birth, I was in a birth, like, you know, I see it. Even with an epidural, even with the most pain meds, that shit fucking hurts. Okay? Now knowing what I know now as an you know, in 2023, as a nurse, I don't even know how people do it now, let alone back then when there was no medication. And that was just simply what you did. Right. And there was no concept of even, let me wash my hands before I shove my hand in your vagina to examine you. We're still hundreds, like over a hundred years away from that. Yeah. Um, so that's disgusting. At least 50 plus. Whenever Florence Nightingale, I'm sorry, mom, I don't know when she came up with the hand washing thing, but regardless, hygiene wasn't a thing. So it was going to be infection. Maternal mortality and infant mortality was sky high during this point. So regardless, Ruth gave birth alone in a barn in what was probably a very painful, difficult birth. Ruth gave birth to a baby girl. Unfortunately, By her word, the baby was stillborn. Now, when a baby is stillborn, that means that typically, if again, I don't know if her account was stillborn was the word she used and it wasn't actually stillborn, whatever. Stillborn is when they die in utero and are born and they're already dead. Okay. So the baby girl was stillborn. And sometimes with birth, even with an alive baby, birth can be very brutal also to the baby. 
So we see sometimes like really fast deliveries. Those babies have really bruised faces typically. So that's how you can be like, oh, that baby, she must have had a precipitous delivery because that baby is purple in the face. Whatever. It's not unlikely that her delivery was complicated and it's not unlikely that her baby was covered in bruises. Babies, again, healthy and alive, can be born with a broken clavicle. Mm -hmm. That happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if, say, her baby, and there's no evidence to say this, but say her baby was born and its arm was broken... That happens sometimes in birth. Birth is a very serious thing. So no matter what, her baby, if it, you know, stillborn babies typically are purple and blue, probably didn't give, you know, back then, being found by those kids and under the floorboards, it probably was a terrible sight because it's a baby and because it was probably purple and blue, you know? For sure. Ruth was probably horrified and sad and terrible, terribly terrified that what would happen if she was found, if the baby was found. And so I don't know what she thought, what her thinking was going into this, but I think she was panicking when she decided to put the baby under the floorboards. She wrapped up that baby in her blanket, like she had a blanket for her, and she dug like a shallow little grave and she put that baby in that grave and then re- placed the floorboards and mourned that infant. I don't think, maybe this is just because I like to think of her as a suffering woman who lost a baby. I don't think that any of this was done with malice. Agreed. I think she was scared. And I think she just went through childbirth and only to give birth to a baby that wasn't alive. That's very traumatic. So, you know, she, at this point, where we're at is that basically she delivered a baby. It did not, it was not alive. And she hid it because her delivering a baby of somebody, you know, she's out of wedlock. That's a crime. No matter how you slice it back then. Mm-hmm. So. Samuel Folsom, who was the coroner, wrote that he had determined the baby, quote, came to its death by violence. Mm-mm. Which, um, No. Number one. And number two, he's probably going off of the state of the baby's body, which, like you said, Liz, easily, 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 it's not out of the question that this kid could have a couple bruises. Yeah. I mean, that's also why it's really important these days, and we know that it's important these days, to have your child get some good old vitamin K to help with clotting, because babies do not have those clotting factors, so they are going to bruise easily. Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. That is a... Injection we give every newborn. Well, of course, we ask the parents' permission. We say, do you consent to having vitamin K? Consent to get your baby vitamin K. Yes, you want it because your baby does not. This is the same spiel I give all my moms when, like, I'm admitting them into labor. Vitamin K, when the baby's inside you, it makes you make vitamin K. So the baby gets it through the placenta. Yay. When baby's born, she's no longer attached to you. So... She doesn't make vitamin K until like a year of life. So she's learning how to crawl. She's, oh, she's cruising on the sofa and she falls. And you didn't give her that vitamin K shot. The likelihood of her having a massive hemorrhage or bleeding internally is much, much higher because she didn't get that clotting factor to hold her over until she could make her own. Mm -hmm. So obviously this wasn't a practice back then, but to your point, Katie, you want to get vitamin K because without it, you could call it, they could look, you know, maybe this baby was bruised from that kind of thing, you know? 
After the coroner's ruling, Ruth was arrested and indicted on one count of, quote, private burial and concealment of her bastard child. That's literally what the crime was. And it's also a capital crime. A capital crime? What does that mean? The death penalty. Oh, fuck. And I think it's so crazy how they're looking at this deceased baby, Mm. and the coroner says this baby met its end by violence, which we know that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Ruth was preparing for this baby. She would not do that. Mm -hmm. That's what the coroner said. Mm -hmm. But because this baby is illegitimate... Mm -hmm. Everybody became so much more focused on the fact that this child was, quote, a bastard child. Right. That the idea that Ruth even could have possibly murdered the baby just fell to the wayside. Yeah. The townspeople were so much more focused on the fact that the child was from a relationship out of wedlock. Right. Than the fact that she could have murdered this child. That's how crazy this is. Right. So just in the interest of, I thought this was so silly that she would be sentenced to hang for concealment of a bastard child. That was just so mind-blowing to me. So I wanted to look up the history of the death penalty in America and, like, what it entailed. So, back in this time, there were an insane amount of crimes that could be considered punishable by death. I'm talking over 600 at the beginning, at the infancy of the death penalty. 600! For such silly things! The first legal execution in America happened in 1608, obviously pre-America, but what we know now is America. A man named George Kendall out of the Virginia colony was executed for supposedly, quote, plotting to betray the British to the Spanish, quote. Uh, okay. I know back then, you know, treason and honor and all that is like a huge deal. So it's like, that's not super surprising for the time, but it's a little specific. I know that Virginia is not New England, but this is a fun fact. Virginia used to sentence capital punishment for so many things. For example, stealing grapes, killing chickens without permission, etc. They got rid of a lot of death penalty crimes because they were afraid that no one would settle there. Because there were so many things you could be punished for, like stealing grapes. that You could be hung for that. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That blew my mind. In the 17th century, which before the Salem Witch Trials, which we did cover, there were a lot of bizarre crimes that could be punished by death, including, as we know, witchcraft, which, as we know, in today's age, that's not, it's not real. Like, like, that's crazy. <laughs> you could also be tried for blasphemy, man-stealing, whatever that is, and bestiality. Ooh, that one I can kind of get behind, because that's gross. <laughs> In the Revolutionary War era, most of the colonies shared a similar view on what crimes were considered death penalty worthy. This included arson, piracy, treason, stealing horses, counterfeiting, which was a huge one, and slave rebellion, which those are my anti, you know, those are the anti-heroes back in the day. People against slavery. Typically, these sentences were carried out by hanging. In 1739, two women in New England, were the first to be executed by the state for concealing the death of, quote, an infant bastard child. So this is pretty, you know, 30 years before Ruth. Mm-hmm. Not That's not too long. At this time, the laws that required capital punishment were murder, rape, homosexual acts, abortion, bestiality, burglary, 
counterfeiting, and treason. Unfortunately for Ruth, in 1812, a good 45-ish years after her execution, New Hampshire dropped its amount of crimes punishable by death from a whole bunch to just two. So close. She was almost there. Damn. I know. Crazy. But that that just blew my mind. I was not having fun, but I was really interested reading this because I was like, you're telling me that homosexual acts could have you hung. That's insane. It's sad. That's crazy. And the fact that that kind of thing in other countries can still result in the death penalty. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Like, there's a lot of warnings for travel and travel or recommended travel bans for gay couples mm-hmm. or queer folk sure. that want to go on nice vacations with their partners and they're not able to do so because if they're seen holding hands or kissing or, God forbid, a housekeeper walks in on them. Right. You could be stoned in the square or something crazy. Yeah. Like, or you could be imprisoned for life and we won't be able to get you back in our country. Like, it's right. so crazy to think about. It's ridiculous. Ruth's trial began on September 3rd in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which does still exist. Yes. <laughs> A lot of the town testified against Ruth because, you know, half the town fled to the barn to watch the scandal unfold. Right. Ruth pled not guilty, but she was convicted that same day. She was sentenced to the death penalty with a date set for November 24th, 1768. Governor Benning Wentworth granted her one reprieve, then another, then another. What? To delay her execution until December 30th of that year. Which, it honestly, like, these days, in most states that still carry the death penalty... You're on death row for years, mm-hmm. years and years and years. She was not on death row for very long at all. No. Even the reprieves were, like, so short. Insane. Wow. I guess, according to research and history and what we know now, when someone back then was sentenced to the death penalty, it actually was pretty common for them to be granted at least one reprieve because it was customary for... Someone to be allowed additional time to, you know, think about what they did and also process the fact that they were going to, quote, meet their maker. Right. I also think that the reason she got more than one reprieve, and like we talked about with a past historical episode that we did for Mary Rogers, episode 86, was that perhaps in this case, they were thinking, oh, she's a woman. Mm. She's a woman. We have to offer her at least some forgiveness. Which, while this is true for this case, not always, you know. Right. (laughs) As her execution date approached, Ruth wrote a letter in the town newspaper where she argued her innocence. She wrote, quote, Though I was with child, I never had a single thought of murdering the infant, which make me shudder to even think that it is possible. Any mother should be guilty of such cruelty. Therefore, I made preparation for its birth and could now produce the clothes and women in whose keeping they are. But alas, it is too late, and on that unhappy day when I was delivered, I knew it had not been eight months from the time I was with child, and therefore had not thoughts of being delivered at that time, but an unhappy fall which I then received brought on the birth instantly. And you know, basically she is implying that she fell, and that kicked her into labor, which absolutely is possible. If... You are pregnant and the baby dies inside you, like something like that traumatic, 
your body will automatically kick you into labor to get rid of it because you will get sick with sepsis because you have like a dead thing in your body. Like it's not going to be compatible. So your body will naturally kick you into labor. So that's not surprising. That definitely makes sense. And it also carries to the fact that if her baby was bruised, that checks out. And that also just adds to the fact that this whole thing was so traumatic. Yeah. And fucking sad. Yeah. And she was, she truly was expecting this baby. And where she mentioned that she could produce the clothes Mm -hmm. for the baby, she was preparing for it, you know? And that was something that was typically used in court for cases where women were accused of having an illegitimate child or killing a baby and Mm -hmm. murdering a baby and all that was that you could prove I was preparing for this baby, I wanted this baby, Mm -hmm. then you might be spared. Mm -hmm. Not the case here. No. She had also written how she hid the baby's body out of shame and fear, and that she also had several friends who told her that she should hide the baby's body. Mm. These friends never came forward. Mm. Researcher Carolyn Marvin, who has done a ton of work and digging into this case, believes that Ruth might have been the victim of jealousy and revenge Mm -hmm. by maybe a small group of women that had resented her. Because it is 1768, it was very rare for a woman to be educated. Sure. Ruth was educated. Mm -hmm. She was probably teaching these women's children. Mm -hmm. And it was also pretty rare for her to be a teacher, a working woman, a single woman. Mm -hmm. And also she came from a middle-class family, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, she wasn't dirt poor. She wasn't super rich, but she was doing well for herself. And for her to be independent and doing well for herself and educated. They probably didn't like that. Right. A lot of women were probably jealous. Mm -hmm. So Carolyn actually stated, quote, Ruth got some bad advice and there were women who bore false witness against her. Mm As we learned in sex ed, Mm. it takes two to tango. Yes. So where is this baby's father at? Right. In the past, men have actually been tried for fathering an illegitimate child. Hmm. But because no one came forward, Ruth was the only one being tried for this quote-unquote bastard child. Right. Some people thought that the father of the child might have been a traveling salesman, maybe someone who wasn't local to the town and was not there when this incident happened. Right. Right. There's also suspicion from historians looking back that it could have been a local minister, which is very scandalous Mm -hmm. and really explains why this guy did not come forward. Mm -hmm. Because she lived in the house next to the barn, and both the house and the barn were owned by none other than Benjamin Clow, who we mentioned in the beginning. Mm -hmm. People thought that maybe he was the father. Interesting. Benjamin's wife, Olive, and his mom, Rachel were two witnesses in the trial because they had run into the barn with all the commotion and they saw the baby's body being pulled up from under the floorboards. Right. So if Benjamin was the father, then the entire family's reputation would be destroyed mm-hmm. and it would make sense that if he were the father, mm-hmm. which, you know, not super likely, but if he were the father, of course he's not going to come forward. Right, of course. Ruth went through hell in prison. Yeah. She was there from August to December, and she was subjected to both extreme heat and extreme cold. Mm -hmm. And it's literally documented that at least twice, she became so ill that she had to be examined by Dr. Josiah Bartlett, which, Mm -hmm. fun fact, Dr. Josiah Bartlett signed the Declaration of Independence years later. Oh, interesting. 
The man in charge of the execution was a man named Sheriff Packer. He, uh, he was a man who had been working for the king, because remember, this is still a country that's, like, owned by England. And he had been working for the king for a long, long time. And he had actually presided over the executions of the two women in 1739, Sarah Simpson and Penelope Kenny, who were accused of killing children that I mentioned earlier. He was the man, he had to continuously arrange and rearrange her executions. He was the one receiving the reprieves. So I think by the time it was time to end Ruth's life, he was just fucking done. Because he had to, you know, okay, it's time to hang you. Oh, here's another fucking reprieve. He probably was getting a little sick of that shit. So, and as we know now, he continued to preside over executions for many years after this as well. Like his whole life, that was his job, which is a sad life. Maybe it hardened him. Who knows? On December 30th, 1768, Ruth was brought via horse cart to the highest point on South Street in Portsmouth. It is rumored that she was sitting next to the very coffin that she was supposedly about to spend eternity in. That's debated, but usually that's how they would do it. Why? I'm a one-trip bitch myself. I'll take all my groceries in one go. So if you got, you're going to one place and you need to bring a coffin, I guess, you know, do whatever you got to. Thousands looked on as Ruth was brought up to the gallows and the noose was placed by the aforementioned Sheriff Packer, who was clearly ignoring the audience's cry of protest because now they were protesting the hanging because she's a woman. Why would you do that? No, literally the same town that ran to the barn and asked for her to be examined Mm. for evidence of childbirth. Yeah. Now is saying, oh, never mind. Don't hang her. Yeah. They just want drama. They should all be tried for hypocrisy because damn. Supposedly... They kept Ruth on this cart when they tied the noose around her neck, and they just kicked it out from underneath her. This was not effective. It did not snap her neck immediately. And she struggled for three to four, probably more minutes, because she was still alive. Her neck didn't snap. So when someone typically is hung, they are hung from the gallows, or they're hung from a tall tree Mm. and the drop snaps their neck and kills them instantly. Sure. So they used what was called a short drop method. Mm. And so because only a cart was between her and the ground, like you said, it did not snap her neck. It took her multiple minutes to suffocate slowly as the rope slowly tightened around her neck. That's awful. Yeah. And this actually was so common for the times that when someone was hung or hanged, family members and friends of that person would be waiting so they could run and grab the person's feet and try to help them and prevent them from suffering. Oh. Yeah. That's awful. hmm People who died this way could struggle for several minutes and even have a heartbeat for up to a half hour. Mm. They simply dug a hole underneath her and buried her right there in an unmarked grave. Ironically, where she was buried is now a cemetery. It wasn't back then. It was like a military training area. Mm -hmm. Now it is a cemetery, which is interesting. 
According to town gossip, Sheriff Packer refused to wait for the governor's ruling because that was part of why there was an angry mob was people were saying, you know, he's granted reprieve after reprieve after reprieve. He has to have another reprieve coming. Mm. Like he has to be on his way with the reprieve. Mm -hmm. Just hold on, wait a couple hours, she'll get reprieved, and then she won't have to die. Mm -hmm. So the angry mob is saying, Sheriff Packer, wait, Sheriff Packer, the governor's going to be here any second. And allegedly, this is just town gossip, mm-hmm. Sheriff Packer refused to wait for the ruling because his wife had already cooked his lunch mm-hmm. and he wanted to go home and eat. Oh, big man wants a big, big lunch. Oh, what is he going to have? Fucking porridge? Maybe a little ham. A little ham ham? Ham and potatoes. Oh. That night, the angry mob changed locations and stood outside the sheriff's house. Good. There were actually people burning. Someone said they were burning, like, a little picture of him. Mm-hmm. They are like, fuck you, Sheriff. Mm-hmm. Not really, but they are probably right. like, blast you, Sheriff Packer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ruth Blay was the last woman executed in New Hampshire. Because of this and the circumstances around her execution, she has become a folk legend. A woman named Betty Pettingill, who was actually one of the schoolgirls who was there in the school when the baby was found, believed that she was not guilty. Mm. Betsy stated that Ruth was, quote, more sinned against than sinning. Oh. I know. It's also said that Ruth haunts the town of Portsmouth for how she was treated. Mm. There is a mural on the wall of a building. It's at 165 Court Street in Portsmouth. Mm. It was painted by an artist named Terrence Parker. Mm. We marched to it for the reproductive march. There's going to be a picture of it on our website. He depicted Ruth with a noose and a rope, but instead of the noose around her neck, he depicted it as being wrapped around her pregnant waist. Mm. Carolyn Martin, the researcher who was just so phenomenal. I mean, Mm. you cannot look up this case without seeing her name. No. She has devoted so much of her free time, Mm -hmm. so much of her energy, so much of her work into research on Ruth. Because Mm -hmm. Carolyn said that she was so just upset by Mm -hmm. the circumstances and she really wanted to get Ruth's story out there. Yeah. She stated, quote, A majority of those who are sentenced to suffer the death penalty are society's marginalized persons, either economically, socially, racially, or by gender. Ruth was educated, but relatively poor and female. The laws of the time discriminated against women, and she suffered for those biases. Nowadays, there's a whole lot of people dead set on enacting laws that would bring us back to these times of discrimination against women Hmm. and people with uteruses. Yep. And making us suffer for these biases that they want to bring back. Mm -hmm. Look at abortion laws that would criminalize people for having miscarriages. Which is so messed up. Crazy. Absolutely insane. That's like criminalizing people who have appendicitis. Literally. Control. Literally. And someone who's grieving the loss of a pregnancy, whether it was wanted, whether it was expected. Yeah. I can't imagine. It's ridiculous. They also want to put doctors behind bars for performing life-saving abortions. I mean, as we've talked about many a time on the podcast, especially with our episode, episode 59, Geraldine Santoro, Mm -hmm. who was a huge figure for abortion rights. Abortions are life-saving procedures. Correct. Okay. Even if you don't like them, even if you wouldn't get one yourself, do whatever you want to do. If someone is having life-threatening complications, if someone is a child, Mm -hmm. 
whose body cannot handle giving birth to another child, you need to perform an abortion to save their life. Yeah. And clearly we are hurtling back towards 1768. I mean, mm-hmm. are they going to start building nooses and gallows in town square? Are we going to go like Handmaid's Tale in this bitch? I would not be surprised. It's Honestly, insane. It's sad. But if you want to know more about this case, and of course, Ruth Blay, Carolyn wrote a book about this case. It's called Hanging Ruth Blay. She has spent so much time and effort on research. Her book seems like a wonderful wealth of information if you'd like to learn more about Ruth, Mm -hmm. about the times in which this was taking place. Mm -hmm. I personally think that historical cases are very fascinating. And I also think it's interesting that you know, like we've talked about throughout this episode, we can look back and say, oh, that was 300 years ago. That would never happen today. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. And that is the terribly sad case of Ruth Blay, a woman executed for giving birth to a stillborn baby. It's sad. It's terrible. And obviously, as with all of our controversial topics, we want to know what you think mm-hmm. politely. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeAny. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email with your thoughts at TrueCrimeAny at gmail.com. We also, of course, have a website, TrueCrimeNE.com. You could use our handy-dandy submission tool under our contact page. You can send us your thoughts on this case, other cases we have covered. You can suggest a case to us based in New England, please. Our handy-dandy submission tool does allow you to be anonymous if you so choose. But if you leave your name and we decide to cover that case, you'll get a little shout out. If you want to scroll down a little further below that, you'll see a button that says thank you. That will bring you to our buy us a coffee page. You can buy myself a coffee and Liz a little non-coffee beverageino. Thanks. But as we always say, just being here, just listening to us, especially for cases like these, Mm -hmm. the smaller cases you guys may not have heard of. Mm -hmm. We just really appreciate you. We cannot thank you guys enough. And yeah, thank you guys. Thanks, guys. And with that, we'll see you next week for episode 100. Woo! Bye. Bye.